Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Netflix is the definitive media company of the 21st century. It was among the first to parlay the new internet technologies into a successful business model and in the process changed how consumers access film and television. It is now one of the leading providers of digitally delivered media content and is continually expanding its access across the host of platforms and mobile devices. Amen to that. It is truly. Netflix is everywhere and everybody, practically everyone I know, is uh, is on Netflix as a, a subscriber. And what has been the impact? So uh, I thought, well, what, let's talk to someone who, who knows and understands this much better than I do. And uh, we were able to... Um, find uh, a terrific uh, uh, guide into the world of Netflix, and that's Kevin P. McDonald. Kevin is, he teaches at Cal State Northridge in the Communication Study Department. His research focuses on film theory, contemporary Hollywood, and media industries. Uh, he has written for such journals as Jump Cut, Velvet Light Trap, and Alphaville. He is also co-author and editor of the book the Netflix Effect, Technology and Entertainment in the 21st Century. Kevin McDonald, welcome to Film School. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Well, it, it is a fascinating uh, story uh, about, about Netflix, and I don't know that we have all, enough time to get into all of it, and I would love for people to check out your book. So, But let's get sort of the broad overview of what was sort of the opportunity that allowed Netflix to sort of begin to the process of becoming what it is today? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and part of my initial interest was, you know, the last 10 or 15 years where really, you know, how has technology changed the film and media industries? And what's interesting about Netflix is, you know, it seems to... Um, ended up there almost by accident. Um, and part of that is, you know, the studios, um, they weren't sure, and they have a long history of being reluctant um, to incorporate new technologies. So famously, they sued um, Sony um, and the VCR technologies. Um, so at that time, you know, DVDs became a kind of boon for the studios. So they were you know, not sure about video on demand and what that would entail. And, of course, seeing what happened in the music industry, there was a lot of fear about piracy and how that was going to affect movies. Um, so that reluctance and um, in terms with, you know, technology and how that was going to affect them, um, some of these things opened up that opportunity for uh, a company like Netflix. Okay, so that was the story. And give us a time frame, uh, because a lot of people, I think, have been around just long enough to know that Netflix seems to have always been in their life. So go back to this era, what we're talking about. Was the yeah, the, so Netflix was founded in 1997, and so this was the period you know, just as DVDs were starting to take off. Um, so the established you know, rental retailer, which at that time was Blockbuster Video, you know, they still had mainly VHS tapes. Um, and it was just then that the studios were seeing the possibility of 
rather than renting their movies, um, you know, selling them directly to consumers. And so it was, you know, at that time, you know, DVDs were still pretty expensive. So it was just at that, you know, just the time period where things were starting to become cheaper. Um, so for studios, they were more interested in selling you know, DVDs directly to consumers, um, trying to get rid of the middleman blockbuster video. Um, so it's right around that time. And, you know, DVDs, of course, you know, took off in the first five or six years of the two, early 2000s. Um, so uh, that's the time frame. Um, so the early 2000s. And it, it seems to me the story of Netflix is this, as you're describing it, this convergence of technology opportunity and i think the main thing for me in in what i know of netflix and correct me if i'm wrong is that the model was to get you a film the calling card was get you a deliver a dvd to you and you had no limitation on when you could take it back or, or return it and it sort of opens up that idea of there's sort of something I remember my initial reaction was, well, that's great and that makes sense because people just don't always have a day and a half to watch or a day to watch a movie. Was that was that sort of the was that the thing that separated them or that distinguished them? What was it about them that distinguished them from? Because there were other services around that did something like what what you were talking, what Netflix was talking about doing. Yeah, it was definitely the appeal to being more consumer friendly, and right. they they made. Um, you know, that was what differentiated them from, from Blockbuster, where, you know, if you did not return your video on time, you got a late fee. And uh, nobody liked the late fees. Um, the other thing that Netflix did was, and the way that they distinguished themselves from Blockbuster, was to try to appeal to more specialized tastes. Yeah. So Blockbuster, mm-hmm. um, you know, was focusing more on new releases, the Hollywood Blockbusters, um, and Netflix was able to say, Look, we can you know we can connect you with more of the movies that you like, the more of the movies that aren't going to be available um, at the neighborhood um, video rental outlet, um, and so that was another major part of the early story of Netflix. Well, talk to us about the the uh, kind of the the Scoresman. What's his name? Uh, Steve Scoresman. Score. Uh, Stuart Scoresman. Yeah. Stuart Scoresman. Yeah. Talk to us about him and what this sort of in this model. Of having more more DVDs than anyone could ever watch, but it was that idea of having what was it eighty? How many titles did he have in his? Well, go talk to us about uh, Stuart Scoresman and and how how he plays into all this. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting figure um, and one of these um, you know characters that a lot of times you know doesn't figure into the main story, um, but it's interesting nonetheless. He was, you know, started up a video rental chain on the East Coast, and he, you know, claims to have invented this idea of movie matchmaking, um, and basically there's an economic side to it, which is, you know, if you can get people to, you know, rent or, you know, watch older movies that you've already paid for, you know, you're making more a better profit. Um, but it also appeals to the consumers, you know, we're going to help connect you with something that you are more interested in watching, something that you'll get more out of. Um, so he actually moved to um, San Francisco right as you know, the dot-com was taking off. And so the idea, which has you know, subsequently taken up by Amazon and Netflix, was 
basically to create these algorithms that, you know, these recommendations that allow you to find and uh, connect with more of the movies that you like. And so the appeal, um, and sort of famously, uh, the Wired editor, Chris Anderson, labeled this the long tail model, um, which a lot of people picked up on. Um, The idea of, you know, uh, having a much deeper catalog and allowing consumers to connect with, you know, more of these older films, more of these specialized independent cold films, um, that there was a kind of advantage to that. Well, and, and it's, it's, there's something um, personalizing about that model, something about uh, it, the idea, if you like this, you might like that, this. And so, and it, there might be, you know, 10 films and you, and it's that, it's one of the things that I think people watch movies for. It's a sense of discovery. It's a sense of a story that they weren't familiar with. It's that's a big part of it. At least for me, as a, as a viewer, a big part of it is finding and discovering something new. Whereas you're talking about the blockbuster model, which was to plaster up the latest tentpole movies, have fifty of them on the shelf, and push that because they pay a lot of money for those DVDs as a business, so they need to turn them around, what, 30 times for each one of those DVDs to make a profit? Was that the number? Am I about right on that? Yeah, something like that. And so, yeah, it really, you know, it's, it's which is, and then it's, you know, a lot of, they would throw those away then, um, destroy those DVDs. You know, it, it was all about, would intensify the turnover, yeah. um, and it was more about just you know the latest new release, the latest new release, rather than that sense of discovery that you're talking about. And that's one of the interesting contradictions with the new di- you know digital and internet technologies. I think you know the internet allowed that; it allowed people to discover more things. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you have this sense of you know, on the internet now we're almost overwhelmed with choices. So finding that, you know, that balance between using these technologies to find things that we actually want to see and enjoy versus, you know, not, you know, avoiding the kind of overwhelming sense of, um, you know, there's too much information there. Well, and one of the most powerful things in terms of films and their success is word of mouth. That is, I think, I think if you talk to anybody who's in marketing, that's so much more powerful than an advertisement to sort of browbeat you into wanting to go see a film or, you know, it's, it becomes an omnipresent uh, media e- um, enterprise that you can't get away from. But when somebody you know says, you got to see this movie, that's so much more powerful. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the debates about where Netflix is now because I think, you know, there is this big idea that the technology was going to even the playing field, that it was going to open up more top opportunities for filmmakers to make more and different types of films. It was going to allow consumers to see more of these types of films. And, you know, that debate is, is that still happening? Um, certainly, you know, Netflix and some of these other digital platforms are opening up new opportunities, but in a lot of ways, some of the same kind of economic pressures are there. And somebody was just talking about, you know, the decline of the, you know, the long release where, you know, even a film like uh, The Neon Demon, you know, was opened at almost 800 theaters, um, but it disappears after two or three weeks. Yeah. There isn't that chance to build the word of mouth. Yeah. In some ways, you know, the, the recommendations or those algorithms replace that, but not fully. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, I'll go back to the film that I think was, was a great example of word of mouth and was allowed to be around was Little Miss Sunshine. Right, I think mm-hmm. probably one of the most successful independent uh, films of all time, 
and yet it opened to very little fanfare and only I think only because somehow some way it survived past that two three week barrier which usually undoes these kinds of films before they have a chance to reach an audience it survived long enough to be able to claim that much of a following to be able to talk it up but it, you're right it doesn't yeah. happen anymore it just doesn't um, the the one thing that I was just reading somebody who, who was comparing the Neon Demon with Mulholland Drive David mm-hmm. Lynch's film and, and and pointed out that Mulholland Drive never played on more than 250 theaters but it was in theaters from October of 2001 until May of 2002 which is just unheard of and I, and I think that one of the you know challenges is that building an audience still is hard work and it yeah. still takes time and that I'm not sure that we found a way for digital technologies to replace that work. Right. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the co-author and editor of the film The Netflix Effect, Technology and Entertainment in the 21st Century. That would be Kevin P. McDonald. He teaches at Cal State Northridge communication study department his research is in his research is in film theory contemporary hollywood and media industries and he is here with us today to talk about netflix um so this this model and it hasn't always gone smoothly i i want to talk about sort of the stumble that that netflix went through uh when they tried to split the online with the with the more traditional um hard copy of a, a dvd but i also want to get into their impact, current impact on their generating their own content and how that's impacting mm-hmm. us. But so it has been, and we don't have time to get in the the, the entire trajectory of Netflix. So we're, I just want to go to, they have not been without fault in moving forward, but they certainly have been very effective. Talk about that particular aspect of, the, of, of Netflix when they said, we're going to split off these two different services. Yeah, this, you know, a lot of people talk about this as, as, as a major gaffe. And one of the things that's interesting as well is that Netflix has always been under scrutiny. As, even as successful as it's been, there's always talk that it's, it's on the brink of, of decline. Yeah. And, and partly this is because you know, it's sort of in the middle. There's competitors like Amazon, Hulu, HBO. Um, there's always this question of what are the major studios going to do? Uh, does it depend too much on Internet service providers? So there's all of these kinds of potential threats. Um, and one of the other things is that as this kind of hybrid company that partly has one foot in technology, has one foot in media and entertainment, um, it's very much tied to Wall Street. And so it's very much tied to the kinds of um, projections and metrics of Wall Street, which is partly why um, it has these kinds of you know precipitous declines um, which it just had one this last week, I think, where the subscriber numbers, the subscriber growth wasn't as as much as they were projecting, so all of a sudden their stocks fall. Um, the, 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 the split that you mentioned between Quickster, um, where they were going to split the DVD by mail and the, the, um, um, the streaming service, um, you know, it, it, I'm not sure why people reacted so intensely to that. Right. Um, it's, but partly, you know, with the media and entertainment, it's a fickle, fickle business. And this is true for, you know, everybody in Hollywood and TV as well. Um, people respond to certain things. It's hard to predict. And so sometimes, especially when it's so tied up with the kind of scrutiny of Wall Street, that can, you know, send the stocks, you know, into free fall. And, you know, so 
that's one of the issues in terms of one of the, the mistakes or problems they've had. Yeah, and, and I refer to that, that sort of that mentality that Wall Street imposes what you should make. A company can be very successful, turn a profit, and yet be perceived as a failure based on expectation. I call it the tyranny of expectations when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah. And, and, it, and so no matter what you do, you're going to always come up short. Plus, I do think there is an element of the studios are pissed that Netflix exists because they want to have control of delivering content directly to consumers. And along comes Netflix and sort of usurps all of that ability and all of the, the glamour that and the revenue stream that would come with that and now has to deal with a third party. So I think there's an inherent sort of uh, um, um, uh, schadenfreude that the, that the uh, studios are hoping on Netflix. Is that is that a relevant? Go ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And that, that kind of... Um, tension is always there, and I think that's part of the ongoing, you know, you know, this idea that that Netflix could, you know, fall at any time, and and a lot of studios would be happy to see it go away. Yeah. Um, well, now because they know the model that works, that's why they 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 they're, I'm, I'm sure in their mind, great Netflix, thank you for showing us the way. Now get out of the way, and uh, I, I imagine that would be part of it. But let that's let's segue into what I think now Netflix increasingly feels like such a player on the turf of these different uh, studios, and they're creating content. Talk to us in the last couple of minutes that we have about Netflix as a player in in Hollywood now. Yeah, so they've certainly shifted to more and more, you know, producing their own content. And it's certainly visible if you, you know, if you're on Netflix at all, more and more, you know, they're guiding you to more and more of their own shows. So I think there has been a shift towards, and part of the way that it tries to counterbalance all of these expectations and the impossibility of continued growth is to establish itself more as a media brand. And so um, by having more of its own shows, now going back to, you know, some of the anxieties about technology, a lot of people, you know, were worried that they could use something like the algorithms that, you know, know, generate recommendations for ulterior purposes, that they could use that data to somehow, you know, see into and manipulate um, or figure out how to come up with the next big hits. Um, but, and, you know, certainly they've done well with shows like the house of cards and, mm-hmm. um, orange is the new black. Um, but again, with the fickleness of the entertainment industry, even putting together a couple of hits, um, doesn't guarantee that you're going to be able to continue that run. So, um, that's, you know, there is a definitely shift to focusing more on their own content. Um, but it remains to be seen whether they can keep that up. Do you think that this was a smart thing for Netflix to do to get into the content business? Well, I don't think they had a choice um, because, you know, as an you know a, an intermediary or a middleman, um, you know, they're dependent on too many other people. Right. So it was only by you know starting to branch out that they could really try to maintain their place. So I think they had to. Um, but there are certain you know, dangers or pitfalls that go along with that. Right. Well, they're obviously a player, and I think, I'm, I'm not mistaken, House of Cards was a $100 million investment on the part of Netflix? Something? Yeah. Is I think, that right? Is it? Is it I think that's right. Um, and, and, yeah, so I think this is when, when people suggest that they somehow were able to use you know, their data or the access to the data that they have to sort of see something other people didn't, 
the, the House of Cards, go, you know, suggests otherwise. That was a you know pre-existing property. It was a British show. It had attached a major producer, a major star. So it wasn't that they were just taking a kind of you know a gamble, a shot in the dark. Um, you know, it was it was a major investment. So they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and and they invested in quality people all throughout that production, and it worked. It worked beautifully. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry, Kevin. I I would I, I could talk to you for the next hour or two <laughs> about this because I I this is endless, endlessly fascinating. We really kind of brushed by a lot of the important stuff that in the development of Netflix and why it's important and how it continues to be an influence in beyond its own company and the way that we watch and 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 the way that content is now being generated. It, it's a it's a remarkable story. Um, and uh, so I, I apologize for not having more time, but the the again the book is the Netflix effect technology and entertainment in the 21st century. Uh, we've been speaking with the co-author and the editor of this book as well. That would be Kevin P. McDonald. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.